You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. We're meant to be read not just by Israel, not just by the Jews, but they would be heard by all the peoples of the day. So these chapters were written in the language of exchange in that time period. This means that the dream was not only available to those in the synagogues, but also to those who ruled. What God reveals in Daniel chapter 2 is not meant to be known just in the private religious realm, but also in the public secular realm. The interpretation of this dream is not just meant for churches, but also for those in Parliament House, in the White House, in the Kremlin, in Moscow, in the People's Hall in Beijing. It's meant for them as well because it has implications for all of them. Now, there are actually a few different interpretations of what this dream means, but generally, by and large, the majority of scholars seem to say that the gold head represents the Babylonian Empire, the silver chest and arms, the Medo-Persian Empire, which followed after it, and the bronze belly and thighs, the Greek Empire, you know, Alexander the Great and all his buddies. After that, the legs of iron with clay feet represented the Roman Empire. Now, Daniel then tells Nebuchadnezzar that although the empire he was building was regal and impressive, it would be finite. Its time on the pages of history would be relatively short. It would grow, but then it would give way to and kind of shape three empires to follow that would also be impressive in their own way. One day, however, it would be apparent that this whole structure was on a rickety foundation on brittle feet of clay, and finally the whole thing would collapse. But that's not the big point. The fall of that structure would not be because of moral failure of humans. It would not also be because of the foundation, which wasn't on godly principles. Empires and systems built on faulty principles, faulty foundations, will ultimately collapse. The collapse of totalitarian regimes is not hard to predict. The present unravelling of Western civilization is no surprise either. Systems built on rejecting the presence of God will have a shelf life. They don't last long. The mystery isn't that Babylon would fall, not because of its inherent weakness, but because another kingdom was coming, a kingdom that was greater Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon and the empires that would come after it stood in the way of and blocked the progress of another kingdom that would come to fill the future. You see, that's what finally explains Nebuchadnezzar's deep insecurity and mental unrest. There was something out there that was coming, something from beyond that was a threat, something above and outside the landscape of what he could see with his eyes was coming, and he was on borrowed time. There was a real and objective reason for his insecurity. The kingdom that was eventually coming, the little rock, not cut by human hands, is of course Jesus. And the kingdom is the one, his kingdom is the one that will fill the earth. Remember verse 44, it said, it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And in the days of that last kingdom, the kingdom of iron and clay, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never, ever be destroyed. And that's what's happening in Bethlehem. That's what we'll be singing about next week, the coming of that little rock into the world. And that had immediate effect. When Jesus was born, there was something different happened. When, When Jesus in Mary's womb met John in Elizabeth's womb, 
John felt the juice. He felt the power and he starts kicking and he never really actually stopped. There was something coming off Jesus even as a baby in the womb that was transforming, that was challenging. That's why Herod, the king of Judea, went into a flat spin when he heard that there was a, the Messiah was being born. He knew that there was, a, there was a kingdom coming. He felt the pressure of that. And that's why the demons in the Gadarenes reacted to Jesus when he turned up in bodily form amongst them. And they said, what are you doing, son of God? Have you come to torment us before our appointed time? And that's why Jesus said when, when he said, if people don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. There was something about the presence of Jesus. The creator was in the world and the world knew it. The rocks would cry out. At this point... The everlasting kingdom was breaking into human history. The little rock, not cut by human hands, his kingdom is the stone that hits the statue and causes them to break down and his kingdom becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar's dream has consequences, not only in the private religious sphere, but it also has consequences in the public and secular sphere. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only good news because we can be redeemed, it's good news too because Jesus is establishing a kingdom and that kingdom will last forever and is breaking into the kingdoms and systems of the world. A kingdom that invades and transforms the private personal areas of life but also invades the public corporate areas of life. It's a kingdom that has widespread impact. Jesus came to save ourselves but also for us with him to rule over the whole world and call in a different world order, an order of light and love, of reconciliation and resurrection. The little rock has come and he keeps on rolling on and he keeps on rolling on. The kingdom of God gets bigger and bigger and expands until one day it fills the whole earth. And the crickets all like that. Well, we should all be starting to see that Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream has implications for understanding particularly this cultural moment that we live in. Let's look at just four implications and then we'll bring it down to something personal and, and apply it. First of all, we know, we now know, the main reason for turmoil in the world, the actual main reason. The main reason for upheavals in history is not moral failings of humanity. It's not social and economic factors that we can see. The main cause of upheaval in history is the progress of the hidden kingdom of Jesus, which presses in on our present world and beyond it. The kingdom of Jesus keeps on invading human kingdoms. Therefore, there is turmoil and unrest, but also keeps on being resisted and rejected by those kingdoms and systems. The turmoil in our world fundamentally is due to human resistance to the kingdom of God bringing life and justice and wholeness. Do you see that? Yeah. Second implication, the turmoil will continue until the resistance ends. Unrest will always be around until humanity lays down its resistance to the advance of the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Or an alternative translation of that is, or everyone is forcefully 
urged into it. There's another translation of that by an Arab scholar, and he says the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is under pressure. Everyone is under pressure. God's new world order is pressing in on the world. It's unseen, but it's doing that. Everyone, whether they realize it or not, is under pressure from God's new world order. The pressure is relieved only when humans lay down their resistance and give in to this kingdom of grace. Number three, the turmoil and unrest is a prelude to the further breaking in of the kingdom of God. This is important. The turmoil in our lives is not a sign of the absence of God. It's actually, in fact, the opposite. The kingdom is like tectonic plates which lie under the earth's surface, unseen, unhidden, but always there. Sometimes the plates butt up against each other and there's an earthquake. Sometimes one plate slips under the other and there's a volcano. The kingdom is always present, but always pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. And in the pressing creates heat. Heat starts to build. The turmoil that, we, that was felt in the world before, say, the Berlin Wall came down. It was evident that something was happening. The turmoil that came before the overthrow of the apartheid regime in South Africa, there was, there was turmoil. Something was going to happen. Of all the uprisings that have spelt the end for countless monarchies throughout his, there was unrest before the overthrow of monarchies. Kingdoms are torn down because there's one kingdom that will prevail. The kingdom is pressing against the rule of other gods to whom we have bowed. The turmoil in private life and public realm is a prelude to the release of more kingdom life. We say amen to that. Release of more kingdom life. The fourth implication is that we never ever waste our lives serving and living for the kingdom of God. When we serve the kingdom, nothing is wasted. When we seek the kingdom of God, we never seek it in vain. When we never pray, your kingdom come, we never pray in vain. Try as they might, no human can block the coming of the reign of Jesus. What Nebuchadnezzar saw in that dream and what Daniel interpreted was that coming. The progress and triumph of the little rock is inevitable. It will happen. The little rock will become the mountain that fills the whole earth. So there's four implications, and I, I can't really leave you there. There must be some sort of application for us all, some outworking to make this take hold. So I want to give you three brief, uncomplicated things that we can do to commit to now to see the little rock become the mountain. The kingdom rolls on, yes, it does, but not without us in its train. God chose to pass his kingdom through human hands, so we are involved. We're, we, being aware of this, need to understand that we are all agents of the kingdom of the little rock. So here's how we can live so as to bring kingdom rule into the everyday. First thing, make sure you take time to experience God. Make sure you take time to experience God. I'm going to read John 15, verse 7 and 8. It says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you remain in me or abide in me, some other versions say, abiding is engaged participation with a person. There is an exchange. There's an encounter. 
there's relationship, there's intimacy, a connection that is otherworldly. And in that connection, I am positioned to think differently, to feel differently, to see differently. This has to be ongoing, an increased understanding of how God's world works and what our responsibility actually is. Too many people are overly concerned with what the return of Jesus will look like and overlook the fact that we have this assignment now, right now. Increased heavenly perception must be our end goal. King David said, I have set the Lord before me daily. Think about that. What does that mean? What is it that it's actually abiding in Jesus? It's acknowledging the presence of God who is with you to a point of engagement, to a point of relationship, to a point of awareness in the here and now. Set the Lord before me daily is what he said. And something happens in that connection where I live more aware of what he wants. I live more conscious of his will. And because of that, because I'm enmeshed with him, I can ask whatever I will and it'll be done because it lines up with what he wills. So take time to be with God. Get his mind. Think his thoughts. Take time to experience God. And in that time, point number two, whatever he gives you, give away. Give it away. Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. We often hear freely you have received, freely give, quoted in, in terms of sharing your faith. Like you have, you've received salvation freely, so you, you should give it away freely. Yeah, and that's true, and that's right, but that's not the context of this verse. Every one of these four things mentioned here, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, is evidence that there has been an intervention from a kingdom that is not of this world. It's evidence. It's confrontational and it's scary. Look at that man from the Gadarenes in Scripture. He's, he's a guy who's, who's totally demon-possessed. He's, he's so demon-possessed that even his demons are demon-possessed. And, and Jesus comes to him and he sets him free. And the Bible says that he was clothed and in his right mind and talking to people and the city was afraid. I mean, it was all right when he was running around naked and leaping out from behind tombstones and scaring people and writhing on the ground and frothing at the mouth. That was, that was all right. But now he's in his right mind. They're afraid. It's an upside down world. He's wearing clothes, having friendly chats to people on the street and the city is scared to death. Why? Because power from another kingdom has intervened, has been, just been injected into their lives and they didn't understand it, but they couldn't deny it. You see, people around you, they don't mind a God that looks like them. They try to reduce God to their own nature. And it says later about this, this man in the Gadarenes that when Jesus came back, everyone came out to hear him speak because there was one credible witness walking around in the streets of their city daily one credible witness that power from another kingdom had intervened in the lives of that city. This guy, this ex-demoniac, was living proof of what the kingdom of God looked like. And both of those things are getting me ready for the third thing. So remember, take time to experience God, and in that time, whatever he gives you, give away. And the third thing, if the musicians would like to join me, 
is know the power of the two and three. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And gates in scripture doesn't mean the entryway, doesn't mean the doors, it doesn't mean where you go in and come out, it means positions of authority. In the Bible, the gates of a city would be where the authority sat and, and judged and gave wisdom. They'd be sitting there to make decisions. So when we talk about the gates of hell, we're talking about the hierarchical positions of hell. The, the, the supreme leaders of the world of darkness, and Jesus said they won't prevail. They won't, they won't stand a chance against this prevailing group of people called the church. They won't stand a chance. We need to always be aware that this realm of darkness can't withstand a church that responds to the assignment and the call that God has given it and functions as He has assigned it to function. Now here's our verse. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said, I will build my church, the word He used wasn't representative of a temple or a synagogue or anything like that. He used a term that people of his day would have been familiar with. He used the word ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you want to say it. And although we'll mostly view that through 21st century eyes, it's important that we view it through first century eyes. Ecclesia was actually a group of two or three people that were citizens of a particular nation. And when they gathered together, they actually represented the nation or the government that they were from. So for instance, if you were Roman citizens living in Antioch, if there were two or three of you and you gathered together, you actually represented the government of Rome in that place. We have to understand this. Jesus used a secular term that the people who would have heard him would have understood. He had a habit of doing that. He used the word apostle, which came from a, a Greek and then Roman concept. And he did the same with ecclesia. He used a secular term that referred to a gathering of two or three people. When they're together, they have conferred authority. The presence of God was there. No. He comes to us and he brings governmental authority to us so that we as his represent representatives can bring his kingdom and transformation to our nation. That's why he comes. Not so we can have a nice feeling, not so we can be tickled and think, oh, that was nice and we can talk about it with our friends. No, we're here for a purpose. His presence comes to us to bring governmental authority to implement his kingdom. That doesn't mean we, we have authority over our government. It means that we have the authority from him to implement his kingdom in our neighbourhoods, in our city, in our schools, in our universities. It's kingdom with a capital K. Jesus didn't give us authority to keep us busy until we, he returned. He gave us authority to make a difference in this world. So the governmental authority of God rests upon us when we meet in our connect groups, when we meet in twos and threes, when we meet like this in the corporate gathering. It rests upon us. Okay, so there you are. There's three applications, general applications. But let me make it 
a little bit more acute for you. We as a church stand on the threshold of a new season. A threshold for those of you who are younger is that part of the door that you step over when you step into something new, when you step into the brides were carried over the threshold. And they and what that represented was they were carried into their new home, a place that would represent new a new relationship, a new level of intimacy, new births, procreation, that new things would eventuate. And that's where we stand now. The meaning of the actual threshold, it, the threshold itself as a, as a piece of architecture is bland and nondescript and has no power. It's what was stepped over and stepped into that actually had the power. And it was also what was carried over that threshold. So my point is, in this next season, will we step into it? Will we look for new relationships? Will we look for new levels of intimacy? Will we look for new things? Will we be procreative in this time? What will we carry? What will we carry with us over this threshold into this next time? What are we going to carry into this new era? Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven. A little bit goes a long way. In other words, the kingdom doesn't have to have numerical superiority to be effective one day it will be though it'll have numerical superiority the kingdom of the little rock will be the mountain that fills the whole earth it's inevitable Nebuchadnezzar's dream gives the end of the story the kingdom rolls on and on and on and on with us in its train it goes on it goes on it goes on and through our hands God chooses to use us and it goes on until it fills the whole earth can you say amen and let's pray I just want to pray for some people this morning I just want to pray for you if you feel like you want to be renewed again to God's purpose in your life some of you and I say this with compassion some of you have retired in your hearts we are all about engaging with God's purpose to demonstrate the power and evidence and the government of God in in our community I just want to pray for you to be blessed with a, a renewed effort and a renewed focus this morning so if that's you why don't you just show me your hand and I'll pray for you yeah yep thank you thank you yes Put your hands down. That's fine. Lord, we just thank you because you sent the little rock to create a kingdom that would would roll on, Lord God, and and fill the whole earth and ultimately be dominant in the earth. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to pass the responsibility for spreading that kingdom through us, Lord God, and for, for each hand that was raised this morning. Father, we just pray for, Lord, a unique anointing to rest on them. Lord God, a, a refiring to happen. Lord God, that there would be a recharging of energy, a renewal of purpose in each life, Lord God, that has responded this morning. Father, we thank you that we as a church have a part to play in the spreading of your kingdom. Lord, that you have positioned us in an influential place given us a strong foundation 
over the, the last period of years, Lord God. We thank you for the foundation that is there that we can leap off of from here. We thank you for that, Lord God. We pray that as we move into this next season, that we will see the outflashings of your Holy Spirit at work, that we will see kingdom miracles, kingdom advance, kingdom transformation every day, day in, day out. We thank you for that, Lord God. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 